Ken Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Film is Lit, <laughs> the podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or television adaptation. My name is Danny, the self-appointed film expert. And I'm Laura Sheher, the self-appointed lit expert. This is a full spoilers podcast. We're spoiling everything in the book, everything in the movie. You have been warned. Another- and possibly some things in the TV show, if we get around to it. I don't yep. know. Just, just putting it out there. We might touch on the TV yeah. show. Full spoilers for just everything. Nothing yeah. is safe. <laughs> Bruce Willis was dead the whole time in The Sixth Sense. Um, so, okay. Another show note. Our new theme song was done by the band Before Jane. Please check out Before Jane's music wherever you find your music. Love that new theme song. Am I right? Yeah, we're really excited about it. Has a good vibe to it. Today on the podcast, we are covering Friday Night Lights, directed by Peter Berg in 2004, adapted from the nonfiction book Friday Night Lights, A Town, A Team, and A Dream by H.G. Bissinger, published in 1990. It's your favorite genre, Laura, sports. Yay! (laughs) We're back on this train. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And I'm even more excited. We're excited because today's a guest episode. Those are always Mm -hmm. the most fun to record. Today on the pod is my dear friend. We've known each other all the way back since Pee Wee Football in fifth sixth grade it's my dear friend dr ryan kelly ryan say hi hey guys thanks for having me on really appreciate it thank you for finally being a guest yay (laughs) yeah it's the pleasure is ours it's so crazy to call you doctor you've been a doctor for what a few years now for yeah three years now oh my goodness amazing that's crazy (laughs) It's like, you know, just the other day we were back in the woods of Westfield making stupid movies on our little camcorder. And then now you're a big time hotshot in New York. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have a big time podcast, you know, I think uh, we've both done pretty well for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. One more so than the other. Us. <laughs> Me. Uh, yeah. But uh, Ryan, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, before we get into the pod. Yeah. Um, so like Dan said, and we grew up together, uh, Westfield, Massachusetts, playing uh, Westfield Bomber football. Uh, definitely some of the highlights of, of my life is, is playing football down there in Westfield, meeting yeah. guys like Danny, uh, Connor Laraway, Billy Smith, all those good guys. Yeah. And then ended up at uh, Duke for undergrad and worked with the basketball team there. And I've been uh, associated with sports ever since. Had the had the great opportunity of working with the San Antonio Spurs for about a year and a half. Worked with the Carolina Hurricanes for about two years. Now I am a physical therapist for the Brooklyn Nets. So I've had wow. quite the journey, and in, in, in sports have always been at the heart of that journey. So yeah. nice. being able to to come on this podcast and talk about uh, a sports novel, a sports movie is uh, couldn't be more fitting. You are the perfect guest for this. I have many, many questions. <laughs> so I'm I'm excited to hear, especially from someone who has the technical knowledge of like athletes' bodies, because um, injury plays a huge role in this narrative. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of questions that we'll get into later. But yeah, I'm just really interested to to pick your brain about how sustainable not only professional sports but also like 
young like peewee sports are mm. um yeah yeah it seems intense <laughs> very yeah. and when played at the the level that these uh texas high school football teams play i mean it's uh exactly. not very sustainable not very sustainable. exactly yeah yeah and you also played football for northfield mount herman right I did, yeah. I played four years of football, uh, four years of varsity football there, receiver and uh, defensive back. Um, I think we won six games the four years <laughs> I was there. We were uh, not the most talented team. I think this uh, Permian Panthers football team would have beat us by, you know, triple digits. Uh, <laughs> but nonetheless, I have a huge appreciation for the sport and uh, the work it takes to, to be good at it. Mm. not saying I was, but... Yeah. <laughs> you were hey you were you were pretty darn good you were qb in our peewee days and man the arm on this on this kid he was going places peewee qb so cute yeah. <laughs> All right. can you think of a, a cuter role to play oh. yeah yeah well let's get into our personal journeys with the book and the movie so Ryan, when was the first time you either watched the 2004 movie or read the book by H.G. Bissinger? Yeah, well, I think the first time I watched the movie was probably 2004. Um, Mm. I I always jumped on any new sports movie that came out. Um, And I remember watching this movie. It was my road trip movie whenever in high school, um, as you said, I went to North of Mount Hermon and all the other high schools we would play were an hour and a half long drive, a two hour long drive. Oh, wow. There was almost a perfect amount of time for me to watch this movie. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I would remember being in the back of the bus, my little iPod uh, touch, watching it <laughs> on the screen there, the That's little, uh, you know, three inch by three inch screen. And so this is, I could quote almost every line of this movie. So I've, I've seen it dozens of times. And then my first interaction with the book, having loved the movie, I noticed the book when I was in uh, Barnes and Noble my junior year of college, uh, and purchased the book, went right home, read the first chapter, and then didn't touch it again until I decided <laughs> to do this podcast with you guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's a thick book. That is completely understandable. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah, quite it substantial. Is a, a full meal uh, that yeah. needs time to digest. So, Amen <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah, we all came in under the wire in terms of finishing this book, because I don't think any of us had read it in its entirety until we all decided to hold each other accountable (laughs) to actually finish it so good for all of us i think we can all pat ourselves on the back with this one definitely and and a huge thanks for holding each other accountable because this was worth the read um yeah i'm very excited to kind of dive into to the specifics of it agreed definitely yeah war well, I have a much shorter journey with football. I feel like we're right back where I was in the Moneyball episode where <laughs> I'm going to have a lot of questions, not so much experience on my side of things. So I had never seen the movie until a couple weeks ago when we put it on. I had grown up watching the television show with my parents because that was a phenomenon in itself. Yeah, ran five seasons. Yeah. yeah. And out of curiosity, I did watch it again a couple months ago, just because I knew we were going to cover it and I wanted to refresh my memory. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is pretty problematic. <laughs> um, <laughs> now watching it with like my sort of new perspective and new eyes being an adult and also someone who's kind of, you know, gone through the 
hopefully never ending transition of growth and sort of acknowledging, you know, my own racism and stuff like that. So it was a little bit tough to rewatch the show. And I was kind of going in with that knowledge of the movie, um, Mm -hmm. hoping it would be a little better. Um, And I did like the movie a lot better. I thought it stuck to especially the book um, Mm -hmm. more. Um, and it wasn't so like high school drama focused because <laughs> the show yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is a bit of a mess in that respect as well. But yeah, I read the book recently. As we said earlier, it is a full meal. I was really surprised at how much this was not so much just like, like Moneyball is like a straight, you know, sports narrative. And even though they lose in the end, which actually spoilers like that also happens in the book it is it is pretty much it's not like it's not like a framework to talk about much else um but with this book I thought it was more like a it had more of a focus of like the racial tension and like relationship in the south through the framework of football which I thought was really interesting and engaged me a lot more than Moneyball So in that respect, I think I liked the book a lot. And then, yeah, like I'm excited to compare it to the movie because I think it does make some changes, but it's like pretty faithful adaptation. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. My journey, August 1st, 2005, Um, (laughs) on the the, uh, sports practice fields of Westfield High, that's where the peewee practice, that's where I met. Uh, young Buck Ryan Kelly, and we went to different elementary schools. So I'm like, who is this kid? He thinks he's hot shit, the QB. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the first scrimmage, I'm like, and he can pass to bring that to bring that joke back again. I say that a million times uh, daily. Uh, but yeah, our friendship started there, and then. I always knew of this movie, but it felt like an adults sports movie, mm. right? Like mm-hmm. even at, at, in kids at Pee Wee, they're like, that's not for us yet. My first exposure to the film occurred in 2006 after my brother's lacrosse season at Tufts University. His whole season was filmed and they had a compilation video with the score done by, they took a song by Explosions in the Sky mm-hmm. and that band, Texas-based band, did the score for Friday Night Lights. So I watched Matt's lacrosse video. I'm like, that's who, like, what is that song? That's incredible. It was the most inspiring, heartfelt thing I'd ever seen. And Matt explained that, oh, it's from this band, Explosions in the Sky. They did Friday Night Lights. So I finally rented it through Blockbuster Total Access <laughs> in 2007. <laughs> RIP Blockbuster. Yeah, rip, rip. Mm-hmm. I loved the movie. I mean, I really related to mike winchell's character in the sense that i struggled with confidence especially in sports specifically football i would always get sick to my stomach before games so i really related to the film in seventh grade during uh one of those field trips we went to cooperstown uh students could bring movies and you would watch it during that like three hour four hour drive I brought Friday Night Lights. I was loving it, but everyone else in the bus couldn't care less. That's mm. one of my most traumatic memories. <laughs> if I just like ruined the field trip by recommending a movie no one liked. Aww, but yeah, that's tough. Loved it for years. And in 10th grade in AP Lit, 
we were assigned this book. Now I was pumped, but my brother Tim, who had gone through that class three years prior, warned me, hey, bro, it's not like the movie. It's it's about the town and the state in the framework of their season. So don't go in expecting a, a sports novel. As many young people do, I completely disregarded his advice and went in <laughs> just guns a-blazing and was quickly bored. And I couldn't appreciate the novel at the time. As a teen, I totally wrote it off. And since it was assigned in school, it felt like homework because, well, mm-hmm. it partially was. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't prepared to allow myself to immerse myself in the, t- the story of the town and the the economic crash uh, due, the, yeah. due to the oil bust and the racial themes and racism that H.G. Bissinger dives into. So I'm happy that we're finally covering it again for this podcast because now as an adult, I feel like I can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Is it dense? Like both of you said, yes. Did it take us a long time to get through? Yes. But I think we all can agree that it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, that's Definitely. something I forgot about it. Like it spans between like the 1860s, I think when like oil drilling became a big thing down there. And then it brings you mm-hmm. all the way to 1988, which is, and I think beyond a little bit 1988. Cause there's like an afterward and stuff, but mm-hmm. um, that's a lot of history yeah. <laughs> just in yeah. itself. Yeah. A lot <laughs> happens in, in West Texas over that time frame. Uh, yeah, and and H.G. Bissinger does a great job of explaining all of that and how that makes like Odessa, Texas, Odessa, Texas, like in that 1988 setting, right? Like how it all plays up into that. Yeah, exactly. I really like that he leaned into like the persona that Texas has as like an outsider, mm-hmm. and he talks about like how blown out everything is, like everything's big and everybody's loud, like all of those stereotypes. And I think he does kind of get to the root of understanding like why that is and sort of like through again, like history and football and like all of these like other things that kind of go into that persona and those stereotypes. So, but yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, I, I love how it makes the point without explicitly stating it, right? That's the best kind of nonfiction. I liken it to, a book I read last year called A Death in Belmont, which is about the Boston Strangler. And through that case, that author uncovers the incompetency of the Boston Police Department. But it's not like it's not about that. It's about the murders. But, you know, there's more stuff at play. So that's what I really appreciate this time. Yeah, we should say before we get into our analysis, H.G. Bissinger was a reporter And he left his job to stay in Odessa, Texas for a year in 1988. So he chronicled the Permian Panthers high school football team their whole season from 1988 and then on. And through that season, he talks about the school system, the racism, all sorts of social themes. So let's get into it. Compare, contrast. Ryan, what's the first difference between the book and the movie that you want to cover? So I think the biggest difference, the one that that needs the most talking about, especially with how relevant this topic is nowadays, um, with the the social justice movements over the last few years, is the fact that H.G. Bissinger goes very deep into the the racial past of West Texas, the 
the racial atmosphere in Odessa at the time of this team of this season and that the movie doesn't quite touch on it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the first thing I noticed in was taken aback by in reading this book was how often the the n-word is present um, throughout the early portions of the book and how easily not only the coaches of the team the people in the town but the the students the players um, use the n-word just how freely and going back and watching the movie realize they only say it once in the movie which like I'm sure is something to do with the you know writing of the movie and things like that and and I I definitely get it but it's uh, having read the book second I wasn't aware of just how how much racial tension was really present um, at this time mm-hmm. yeah there's there's like a whole chapter on the ease of use of that word in that community mm-hmm. and I think another thing that Bissinger does really well is he takes Odessa as a microcosm of the larger area and not only in Texas like he very much projects it out outwards of the state and and sort of mm-hmm. makes it like a national indictment in a way but yeah, yeah there were a couple times where I'd either be like reading the physical book or I'd be on a run listening to it and I was like ooh, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I hope no one's looking over my shoulder because I'm, I'm reading a good book it's just it is discussing a lot of like racial themes and I I appreciate that the book delves into that I think it's actually like a pretty early example from like a white perspective kind of going into this majority black community and being open about it and like having a conversation about like why those people do use it in, mm-hmm. in a very specific way. And like even examples of like why they don't think that's racist or like, you know, <laughs> why they think it's an appropriate label for people or like why it's mm-hmm. easy to put some black citizens into that bucket and some black citizens do not go in that bucket. Like those types of conversations, I think hopefully people are more open to having nowadays. So I think in like the context, like you were saying of like social movements now, it's a really important book to revisit if you haven't read it in the past like 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're totally right though, too. Like the the movie does not really get into that as much, which yeah. I don't know, like question to both of you, like, do you think that makes the movie like, is that a downfall of the movie or is that appropriate to take out? Like, what do you think? I wish it was in there more because it, the movie does contain little subtle commentaries on things in the town that I think are well done. A lot of visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt like this movie is under two hours. So I felt like there could have been something else in there. Um, I do appreciate the streamlined sports narrative and two hours is my ideal length. I felt there are like, there's a few opportunities to really do that both with, of course, Booby Miles, but also Brian Chavez, who is heavily featured in the book. And despite being top billed in the movie, we don't see his um, mm-hmm. life outside of football, really. There's only really one scene with that character. And Ryan, you're totally right about the use of the N-word in the movie. So PG-13 movies are only allowed one N-word for some reason. We ran into that with Passing. Okay. That was a very explicit book, but a PG-13 movie. So I think that rating robbed a lot of the biting effect of that, you know, the most mm-hmm. racist, har- harmful word possible. And that scene really is jarring, 
I, I forgot that was in there, especially in the movie when that booster yeah. just says like, come on. And then uses yeah. the word. Both of us were like, whoa. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Every time I would watch that movie and see that scene, it's just like just a little cringe. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I think while I would have wanted to see or feel, I guess, a little more of that racial tension in the movie, um, just to make it feel more realistic to what the book says. Um, I do agree that it just it, w- it would have taken away from the, the sports aspect of it. And I think mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this is a sports movie, right? It's not a movie that's trying to make this um, like social justice stand. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's trying to talk about sports and make some money, right? And, and so I, I get why they didn't put it in as much. Um, yeah. But it was definitely the first contrast I, I noticed between the two. Yeah. Yeah, the movie in terms of making money had a budget of thirty million, made sixty-two million, so about broke even. Yeah, which which I was surprised by. I I thought it would be more popular than it was. Maybe I'm just framed by my nostalgic look at just loving the movie for so long. But it feels like a lot of people love the show more than mm. the film or have seen the show. Certainly have seen the show, yeah. It was like a phenomenon when we were in middle school. Like it was like mm-hmm. a Friday Night Lights, like tradition. I feel like people, even in California, who did not have that much of a zeal for this sport, adored the show and like made it a thing to watch every week. But something that I was going to go back to, so I wanted to talk about how the book and the movie are a little bit different, but the movie still leans into this theme a lot about how like not only young athletes are replaceable but also this kind of like follows you through you know being a professional athlete in terms of like how far you can push your body and how much you can bounce Mm -hmm. back after a serious injury like booby tears his acl and in the book he is actually injured during like a practice it's not even during a meaningless yeah like it's not Mm -hmm. even during a game And I thought it was, you know, it's kind of like a Hollywood thing. Like, of course, he's like in the throes of a game and he injures his knee. Um, But the the sort of through line of that is like how how much people put these kids. And that's another thing that the book really stresses is like these are 17 year old kids (laughs) who are exploited at this time in life when they don't have that like self-preservation instinct they have like they want to be the hero and like this is the only thing in the town um Mm -hmm. that's only really extended to male (laughs) like athletes and i wanted to like ask ryan too like how you see that after like young sports or like high school sports how does that like follow athletes into like professional careers and you literally are a physical therapist and so like what types of injuries do you see people like not coming back from and like how does that affect them emotionally like stuff like that like I obviously have a lot of questions but just like go ahead (laughs) no no this is awesome I get to to talk about the things I actually really know and love um as much as you guys know film and lit so injuries like boobies in in high school that ACL tear you especially back then you don't see athletes coming back from that Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now it's it's much more common for them to come back. There's interesting like, proper knowledge about the, the physical therapy needed, the types of surgeries mm-hmm. needed. That's probably about 10 years ago or now or something like that. But Adrian Peterson um, running back in the NFL tore his ACL and was right back on the field in like six months in amazing shape oh, oh, and, and having an incredible season. So 
it's much more popular or much more um, realistic now that someone with that injury would come back. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, back then and, and from reading the book, like he gets hurt in that preseason game, is out for a little bit, but then tries to come back and is still playing. Um, mm-hmm. And the thought of someone uh, like explosive running back playing without an ACL, without a properly functioning ACL blew my mind. Because um, yeah. you physically, you have to be such a specimen to be able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. So it really speaks to how good Booby really was uh, when he was fully healthy. Mm-hmm. But young kids getting hurt like that, like once you get one of those injuries, the likelihood of you getting that injury again, I think the re-rupture rate for an ACL is somewhere up in the like 50s to 60s. Like it's really likely that it's going to happen again. So when it's mm-hmm. that young, it, it's not super likely that you're going to be making it to the NFL or through all four years of, of college, which obviously Booby did not. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a major injury for him to for him to come back and even try to play. I mean, that's like you said, it's the athletes pushing their body beyond what they know is healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's totally enabled by that too. Like it's. Mm-hmm. I think it was really interesting to see the different motivations of the people around him that are pushing him to keep going. Cause I think the coaches were weary, but they were also like, well, if he can play like, you know, okay, Mm -hmm. like go. And then his uncle was very attuned to the fact that Booby was the only way his career was the only way that Booby could move on and like go to college and get a scholarship so like there was mm-hmm. that other motivation. It was really heartbreaking to watch his uncle like have to make that decision to like push him past his physical ability just because he wanted more opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I thought like one I thought the a key scene in the movie was when Booby is sitting on his porch watching the two garbage uh, collectors like put garbage mm-hmm. in the truck and they're blo- both black men and I just see this like veil of just like understanding and like realization that like that's all that booby sees for Mm. his future i thought that was actually like a really good visualization in the movie to show like the stakes that he has to play against yeah and eventually like what happened in his real life which the book does kind of follow him into his future and like that ultimately looks like kind of what happened um because the town never set him up for success outside of football. Right. So I thought that was like, that scene was just really devastating, but it was also like very attuned to what that character would have gone through. Yeah. And I like how the book goes into detail about how, when he was on the team, he was getting good grades Mm -hmm. because of his status being a Permian Panther. He was given like literal passes or cheat sheets. And then the second he's off, the team, both the high school and the town, completely turns their back on him. It's even more heartbreaking in the book because in real life, Booby quit the team after he couldn't play mm-hmm. anymore. The movie Hollywoodizes it a bit to have Booby come back and he, he's with the team and uh, Coach Gaines' halftime speech, he mentions Booby. It's this very heartfelt moment. Uh, but the reality is that didn't happen. And reading that after seeing the movie was particularly tough. So I was going to say to learn that he was sitting in a car, listening on the radio as they played in that, what was, I guess, the semifinal of the the state championships was heartbreaking. 
um, mm. and to learn that he was kind of estranged from his uncle for a little time there, you know, it's not something you see in the movie, but you're right with the, the dramatization of the movie. Like I, like even just thinking about it now, I can like almost viscerally like feel that scene where he cleans out his locker, goes and mm. gets in his uncle's car and just starts crying. Like, you know, I don't know how to do nothing but play football. You know, it's, right. it's, it's palpable how big of a moment that was in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it also like really smoothly segues into another difference between the book and the movie, which is the insane enabling of the teachers and the parents of students just to like not learn (laughs) at all like it was insane to me to read about the like majority white school that just like didn't they had all the privileges above the majority black communities and they just had teachers who were like you know you don't have to show up you don't have to take tests you know, there was even in the book an anecdote about one teacher that tried to kick, a, like, give a student a C, um, which would have invalidated their, like, playing time or whatever. Like, they couldn't play in the next game. And that teacher was taken to court and literally, and then eventually fired and, like, run out of the town, basically, because they were like, no, like, we we're not here to educate people. We're here to win football games. And like, and that, like, it not only eventually affected the, the sports players who, by the way, I also thought it was so interesting. The, the statistic that like two high school students out of Odessa had ever made the pros two in like Mm -hmm. three decades. So like the fact that it really only matters about winning high school football games. It doesn't even really matter what they do afterward. It's just mm-hmm. these high school football games that not only affected the team, but also made the teachers just like not do their jobs for anyone else. And I was like floored and horrified <laughs> that this type of approach to schooling was even defended by people like in the courts, <laughs> like yeah. on the school board and by parents who are just like, yeah, this is okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was absolutely insane. I mean, uh, so I think the the couple players who or the player who did get that failing grade, but then ended up going to court and he got the grade so he could play. Mm-hmm. Within a year of that, was sentenced to twenty five years in prison for armed robbery, um, mm-hmm. along with like six of his other teammates. Um, yeah, and so it's it's just so amazing that there's so much focus on on football that it didn't really matter who they were off the field as long as they're mm-hmm. winning games on the field. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I think they kind of lean into like the positive heroics in the movie. They don't really talk about the academics that is sacrificed yeah. for the ability to play football at all costs. And I think like, again, the strength of the book is to reveal that. And now, especially mm-hmm. with our perspective of, the types of people that end up falling into a hole like QAnon or, you know, MAGA, like that kind of thing. Like these people are coming out of areas where like education demonstrably was not focused on when, you know, these people's parents were in high school. I think it's just so interesting to look back at the timeline of this and to kind of Mm -hmm. see like what we're dealing with as a consequence. Now, I'm not saying that like every single southern or like national 
area with a focus on sports, this happens too. But like pretty clearly with the timeline of this, like it's devastating that it could even be contributing to the issues, to put Mm -hmm. it lightly, that we have to deal with now in politics and like socioeconomic situations. Oh yeah. There's a ton of parallels. There's a big section in the book where they talk about George Bush coming to visit the town Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a quote I wrote down uh, talking about the state of Texas. So is uh, they like George Bush in the same way that they absolutely worshiped Ronald Reagan, not because of the type of America that Reagan had created for them, but because of the type of America he had so vividly imagined. And they're Mm -hmm. saying all this stuff about Bush and the town's reaction to Bush, and it feels very similar to the uh, reaction around Trump. Uh, So in the political sense, it's like that way. They also talked about banks becoming insolvent in Mm -hmm. Texas and because of the oil bust. And I'm like, that's banks are dropping left and right. Like (laughs) last week, like it's very prescient. (laughs) It, It was very weird to read that. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. I think if we wanted a movie where they like delved into more of those like socioeconomic issues, right. The, the big crash, the, um, the Reagan and Bush stuff, right. Then we needed an author, a director for the movie, more like that of, um, the baseball movie, uh, y'all just did, um, Oh, Moneyball, yeah. Moneyball or The Big Short and, and Adam McKay because he's great at discussing those type of points. Um, that's what yeah. it felt like right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think like that gives the basis to someone like Don Billingsley's relationship with his dad, I think. Because I, I think like Don's dad is supposed to be the stand-in for the, the guy that probably was working in the oil fields and experienced the bust firsthand. Mm-hmm. And whether or not he was extremely rich, um, he probably had more money than he has now because he's clearly like, he's drinking, he's smoking, he's like exhibiting all of these like self-harming behaviors. And I think like, they, they probably could have gone into that a little bit more, but it at the same time, like I do like your point that this is like a sports movie and it probably would have detracted from like that, you know, climactic if, they lost even if they lost ending um but that definitely would have given us like more insight about like why the town is like this like why they don't have more of a diverse interest you know of things mm-hmm. things to do in the town and stuff like that um and why they put the why they put so much pressure on their kids to perform because like they don't really have much to do themselves because of this bus yeah. stuff like that um but it would have been a very different movie to your point yeah <laughs> Ryan. yeah <laughs> But the movie, I would say even more so than the book, leans into the parents trying to relive their glory days aspect. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the book is much more analytical since it's you know nonfiction written by a journalist. But the movie, <laughs> being a Hollywood adaptation, really pushes that dad character played by Tim McGraw. Mm-hmm. What yeah. the heck? He loves He's football great. movies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the blind side? I mean... Is he in that too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's funny. the dad in the blind side. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is he an actor? Like, no, not really. Other than the blind side in this, I don't think he's done much acting. I can't name another movie now. Yeah. Which That's is so weird. I think his character is a little on the nose, but the performance is good. Mm-hmm. Would you mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Would you agree with that? I think all the performances in this is, were great. Yes. Like, yeah. I, I think it was really fun that they're actually like a handful of people that were in this movie. And then two years later, they were cast in the TV show. Um, mm-hmm. Connie Britton, who plays Coach Gaines's wife, becomes yeah. Coach Taylor's wife in the updated TV show, which I thought was great. I love her. She does not get enough detention in this movie. She has three lines. <laughs> yeah, she is <laughs> such a great actor. And if there was anything that shined from the television show, it's the strength that she brings to that character. Couldn't and agree more. Good. <laughs> I think that's something too that like, well, this is kind of getting off our, our current point right now, but I, I, wish that we had some more interactions with the female characters like as much as the book leaned into the pepettes mm-hmm. pepettes right yeah pepettes mm-hmm. or pepettes 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 <laughs> Pepet, yeah um as much the book really leans into that and like how devalued the female <laughs> it's not even fair to say counterparts of the football players like right. they are not no anything they're literal peons who give the football players candy and cookies but yeah i wish there was a little bit more focus on the pepettes in the movie um just because like you know that kind of cheesy saying like behind every man is a great woman and like i i do i wanted to see a little bit more of their like exploitation or their like maybe they're like fighting back a little bit on the role that they're relegated to stuff like that like i kind of missed that a little bit out of the movie but um, I, I but, love that point because there's a, a quote in, in the book that I've read and was taken aback by, um, mm-hmm. but makes complete sense in the terms of how they treated these pipettes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a quote here that says it's one of the high school, not even one of the high school football players, just someone in the high school said, I think it would be great to be in the limelight and be part of the team and have a geisha girl bring me candy three times a day. I was like, oh, that's how you're describing them. Like, that is the reputation they have in the school. It is, it is insane that that was a real thing in 1988. Like, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. There is a, there is another quote. I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but um, where it was basically like, this girl had stayed up all night working on a poster and then her player didn't even thank her. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was right. like, yeah. damn. But like the social pressure to meet that expectation of femininity made all of those girls' lives hell. Like they would be bullied if they weren't interested in that culture. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, like that's something I think the movie could have touched on a little bit more. Because really they were just there in the movie to like cheer. And I was like, mm-hmm. ah, that's the point that the book is making though. Like they're, the expectation is that they're, oh, that was another thing where like, they weren't allowed to look smart outside of like a close group of friends. They literally had to yep. dumb themselves down to make sure that they wouldn't outshine their football player. Like, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. still an expectation of a lot of areas of the country. <laughs> like, yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. And yeah. not to dive too far into the, the quotes of this, but the other one I found was speaking of one of the pipettes says, so desperate was she to ingratiate herself with the football players that she bought one of them a brand new backpack and then offered him $50 to sleep with her. It's just so sad sad. that that was the reality. It's almost heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I see. That's the other thing too. Like the author Bissinger talked so much about the effort 
and the stress that these young girls are under to like, again, like perform this like femininity identity that like, to me, what I see, like he was talking about like how like perfect the edges, like the 90 degree angles were when they were cutting the paper, like, and he even talked about it being like an an architectural piece. And I was like, if these girls really wanted to do this, I don't have an issue with it. But the fact that like they're performing these acts and like nobody's thanking them, it's an expectation mm-hmm. of every of society. It's not coming from within. Like all of that intelligence and ability is completely wasted. It's not fostered. They're told mm-hmm. not to exhibit that. And it's just like so sad for me to see women who have these skills and have this like interest and intelligence to do these things and like nobody around them is like hey like you could be in stem like you could be a doctor you could be more than what this this town offers you like there yeah. there's just none of that and it's just like devastating that like a lot of women and non-males but also males kind of go through in different areas of the the country mm. like where there is an expectation i think that's what i said was like serving the football players is like their glass ceiling and like that's it like yeah. that's yeah. yeah in the culture it's such an honor to serve that they're not even aware yeah uh, that they themselves are not fulfilling their potential like doing whatever they want to do yeah 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 and, and not to to compare and contrast but i think in the same vein that's what the football players their ceiling was being a state champion football player he says it multiple times in the book that that was the highlight of your life right it was was essentially all over after that and and i think that just speaks to the rallying cry of the city around the team is that this was the peak of all of their lives was the were these high school football games Mm -hmm. and to put that much pressure on the back of a 17 year old just just sounds insane to me yeah it was enough pressure and Westfield High School with an <laughs> audience of 300. I mean, from both sides. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine a the pressure as you talked about, but b how inflated your head would get, especially being yeah. on a winning team such as the Permian Panthers. I mean, I yeah. certainly felt like hot shit whenever we won. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's crazy to think about well, that. To your point, um, Ryan, I don't know how much you like work with your budget. Um, I don't know how much you do in terms of your job with that, but like mm-hmm. one of my first impressions of the opening of the movie was like a lot of the, they focus on like the equipment and like people wrapping their wrists and, you know, their helmets and their pads and their uniforms and their cleats. That's a huge thing about like the cleats and like what brand of cleats you wear. Like mm-hmm. there's a huge section of the book that just talks about how much money the high school poured mm-hmm. into the football program and they even had like private jets flying yeah. them to Nuts. different football games like and they'd spend like yeah. sixty thousand dollars was like their budget for the jet for the yearly yeah. jet budget and that's like a teacher's salary back then yeah, yeah yeah and and like the other teachers like there was one really committed teacher who was still like doing their best their very best to try to teach these students and they're like, yeah, like we have like $20,000 like a year, but that covers literally everything, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, books, printers, you know, binders, pencils, like all that stuff. And so it was just like mind blowing to me. I thought it was another like really key visual that the movie did a really good job of focusing on is like 
the stadium alone is probably like millions of dollars, Mm -hmm. but also like the daily, like how much equipment all of those football players went through and just like tossed at the end of the game, like tape and, you know, whatever else accoutrement that (laughs) football players use. Um, But yeah, that was, that was mind blowing to me. Like just like understanding how much money goes into sports and like sporting equipment. I don't really come into contact with a lot. So that was really eye opening. In fact, my favorite part of the book was the epilogue when they talk about how all the players went off to different colleges mm-hmm. and were let down by the college yeah. programs because it couldn't compare yeah. to high school. Yeah. And yeah. that was so crazy, especially again, I'm going back to Brian Chavez, but I think his character is not developed at all in the movie. Whereas in the book, I would say he's as much as a main character as like Don or, or Booby, but yeah, he went to Harvard mm-hmm. and played Harvard football and dropped out freshman year because he's like, I'm not going to play for an audience of what, 4,000? Like, that's not <laughs> even close to right. what, like, so yeah, what a, what an interesting thing to go through at 17, 18. Yeah, it, actually, that, that part reminded me, the budget-wise reminded me of the TV show. <clears throat> mm. I forgot, I want to say it's second season maybe, but they add a new... Um, new scoreboard onto the field mm. that costs, you know, tens of thousands of dollars or whatever. And there's a, this whole moment of you know, why didn't that money go to the school? Why didn't it go to the academics? And just, you know, football is more important. You know, having this big yeah. scoreboard is more important. Yeah. A hundred percent. And even like the, the way that that budget was allocated was a little shady. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like the, the mayor is on like the board of, the school board or something like that. And like definitely pushes all of that money toward the school um, and kind of earmarks it for the football program. (laughs) So yeah, it's, that's really interesting. Like even coming from a high school that did not have a good football team, even I could tell that a lot of money was going to the football (laughs) program. Like when I was going to school, they put in an entire new football um, turf field Mm-hmm. And same with the baseball program, because that was also like revered at Pally. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I've talked about this on Moneyball. Like I, I played softball and a little bit of soccer and like, you know, we weren't allowed to play on the boys uh, baseball field. We couldn't use it. We couldn't even use their batting cages. We actually had to build batting cages on the side of the football field. Uh, we had to build our own every single year and take them down. And... <laughs> that really it shows you too just like even when money is funneled into sports it's not non-male sports it's (laughs) it's it's male dominated sports so sure it's interesting yeah we're a little bit more biased towards the sport since we Mm -hmm. enjoy the sport and and i'm biased toward the education obviously right yeah and ideally of course you'd want a nice symbiotic relationship especially with colleges between sports and academics you want sports to build school spirit and to draw in a little bit of extra revenue. And hopefully combined with tuition, the school gets nicer because of that, the academic side, mm-hmm. yeah. but rarely. Maybe does breaks it, even. Right. <laughs> rarely did. I, I would, you know, I, I would say that at the school I went to, I was happy with that symbiotic relationship. I know that you have, uh, more intense feelings of where you went to school, where you're seeing 
money being funneled into the sports, but not to the academic buildings. So I, yeah, I de- in an ideal world, there would be, you know, budget spread across both sports and education. Yeah. I can be, I can, I can take responsibility that I can be like way more forgiving for what sports does for like team spirit and like, you yeah. know, building community and stuff like that. But yeah, I've had a couple of very poor experiences with sports programs that just like do not share the wealth um or just like even academic boards that just like only go after sports people to donate money but then that money is obviously donated back to sporting Mm. the sporting program so like that's who they focus on yeah but but that's just my personal thing so we can move on from that (laughs) because you do have a good point like sports are important right they are important Well, before we move on, I just wanted to bring back, we were talking about Connie Britton earlier. Great actress. Love her in American Horror Story, the first season. I know you haven't watched that, Laura, but Ryan. Oh, you're not a fan of horror. Scary movies and me, you know, they don't mix well. Yeah. Well, she's great in that. Uh, She's also in the show Nashville. Okay. Um, But yeah, doesn't have a huge film career, but I loved how Bissinger focused some parts of the book on coach Gary Gaines, but also the effect of his profession on the family. And, you know, after they would lose fans would put for sale signs in his yard. That's in the movie. Mm -hmm. All the Mm -hmm. boosters would heavily imply that if he doesn't win, that he would be fired or they kick him out of the town. And a lot is focused on the stress that his wife, Sharon Gaines goes through just being the coach's wife. And it's a little disappointing, even though the movie is going for straight Hollywood sports movie, a little disappointing to see Connie Britton have three lines, especially when there are so many reaction shots of her in the stands. She has so much screen time in this movie, but not a lot of speaking roles. So that was disappointing to see. However, I think another one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when the Gaineses are in the grocery store parking lot and the boosters mm-hmm. ride by mm-hmm. and they say like, win this one for us. And coach Gary Gaines goes, or what? He's like, just, just bring it home. And their daughter <laughs> asks, you know, are we going to have to move again? And uh, <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton, great performance, by the way, says maybe. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but his wife says no. And, you know, both showing their kind of relationship where Gary clearly on edge, but uh, his wife, the emotional center, his rock that keeps him from totally uh, crumbling. I love how the book, the book has a bunch of pictures throughout that Bissinger took um, throughout the season. And there's about three different pictures of coach Gary Gaines just slumped over in the locker room, clearly either stressed or it's after a loss or, or Mm -hmm. thinking, but the emotional toil that this man went through and Sharon Gaines went through was immense. So Ryan, what'd you think of the movie's interpretation of both coach Gaines and Sharon Gaines? Yeah, I think they, um, they did a great job of showing again, without her speaking, how supportive she was of her <laughs> husband Right. <laughs> being at, being at the, the booster dinner, right. And in, in one of the early scenes, in which uh, Kendall, my fiance, pointed out that she was sitting two seats over from him. Like there was yeah. another woman in between them at the dinner, which was just odd. I'm sure it was again for 
like uh, for the movie's sake of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, and I think the one thing they don't show in the movie though is how Gary Gaines was also super supportive of his wife, or I guess protective of his wife is probably a better mm-hmm. way to say that. Because um, yeah. they talk in the book, H.G. Bissinger does, about an article that came out um, in the newspaper that was just trashing Gary Gaines. And he mm-hmm. tried to hide it from her. He like knew how much this would affect her. And, and um, he, he did his best to try to keep it away from her. Obviously, she eventually found it. But mm-hmm. um, so it just sounds like they had such a perfect, uh, like symbiotic relationship, right? Where they both had each other's back through everything and his career yeah. couldn't be more volatile. So having someone like that you know, is insanely important. Mm-hmm. Did you guys also get that kind of feel from it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just wanted her in it more. Like we've already said it, yes. but yeah, there, there were so many opportunities for her to like speak. And I think part of the reason that I feel that way is just because again, after watching the show, like, she's so good in the show and she's so real too. Like mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the relationship that they have in the movie, but I don't think that it shows the cracks that like his job probably does introduce in their relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because something that I struggled with a lot and still do, but like as Danny and I've been together for a while, like it's, I've figured out how to like regulate myself a little bit more. But in, when you have your, your partner who's in like a super demanding career it's really hard to feel like you're sharing your partner with everyone else. And like, they're always out of the house and like, you never get the time with the person that you want to be with all the time, you know? And so like that definitely creates cracks. And so I appreciate that about the show a little bit more that she like Mm -hmm. calls her husband on his shit and like how much he actually forgets to take care of her. Um, Like there's a great scene. I think it's in season one, like just after they've moved and coach taylor just told his wife like okay there's gonna be a party and like you know the football players are coming over so we're gonna you know just like prepare a party and then suddenly mm-hmm. she, suddenly she realizes like as people are showing up to her house that the entire town has come to yeah. her house and she's like very understandably extremely fucking pissed that and she keeps like sending her daughter to the grocery store. She's like, literally get all the meat you can find, get all the ice you can find, get all the soda you can find, like get, buy everything. And she like, she kind of has like a breakdown when she's under the table, like cleaning up a spill. And she's like, I'm going to give you a smile when I'm up from this table. I'm going to give you all the support that I have. But under this table right now, I'm extremely angry with you. Yes. <laughs> like yes. that, that realism, like just makes her relatable to me. And mm-hmm. as much as I, I agree, she's like this kind of silent, stoic anchor for Coach Gaines in the movie. Like, it just robs her of the reality for me. But hey, she does a great job with what she's given. <laughs> and that hair, yeah, the eighties hair, yeah, the yes. crimped, like dry as shit. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's both. Her? It's both wet and dry at the same time. I don't know how that. Mm-hmm women did that it's back not then. The, it's not the best yeah. um I, yeah. it was a perm that's how they did it it was a perm yeah. they wanted it as big as it could be everything's bigger in texas they get just this like right. massive hair yeah yeah no but i i was gonna highlight some of the other actors um you? uh so lee thomas young i wanted to talk about a little bit because i had been familiar with him like as a young actor and I actually did not know that he was a victim of suicide. Mm-hmm. 
He actually, he died when he was 29 in 2013. Yeah. I had no idea because he sticks out in this movie. I think he's a really great character. I wish they'd give him a, him a little bit more screen time. Right, because they mm-hmm. make like the core four, but they don't include Chris mm-hmm. when I thought the movie was kind of shepherding him into that core group that yeah. they're yeah. covering, but they don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's but yeah, he's a great performance. So I just wish they'd utilized yeah. him a little more. Yeah. I do think that point about the the core four is something I wanted to, to bring up as well, because I was just interested in the four that they chose in comparison to the book. Like, honestly, you have to get the quarterback. He's incredibly important. Right? You get Ivory Christian, who is the, the standout defensive player, has a nice story that goes along with him. And then they have Billingsley and Chavez. But one of the characters in the book where I thought was incredibly interesting and could have made for a really good character in the movie is Jared Mag- McDougal, I think is how yeah. you say his name, um, who it was saying after that last game when they lost, the last person still sobbing was him. And it talked about his mom and how like this impacted her almost as much as it impacted her son. And I thought they could have done more with that relationship. Um, I think you kind of see pieces of that spread out to other characters in the movie, right? With like Don and his dad. But I think using that character could have been incredible, incredibly valuable to the movie. And I guess my question for, for y'all is what takes do you have on like why they chose the characters that they did choose? And more specifically, I guess like Chavez and, and Billingsley, since they were kind of almost secondary to, to Mike and Ivory. Sure. I honestly think the characters were chosen more so to fit that Hollywood mold of a sports movie like you need that underdog that needs uplifting so that's the qb right he's the person Mm -hmm. who struggles with confidence and the movie focuses on coach Gaines becoming kind of a de facto father figure to him which was semi faithful to the book but he wasn't as heavily involved as a father as he was like in in the movie right Mm -hmm. it wasn't like oh a change a specific change was the movie has Winchell accompany Gaines to the coin toss. Yeah. And in reality, that didn't happen. The coin toss happened, which was, that's insane that that's a rule. I wonder if that's still yeah. the rule. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so you need your main character. Well, I guess Gaines is the main character. But for the players, you need the main guy, the QB. And then you need someone struggling in his home life who uses football as an escape. So that's why Billingsley is, is in there. Um, of course, our favorite narrative, the Booby Miles narrative, mm-hmm. he's in there, but he's not like, because of his injury, doesn't become part of the core four. So that makes sense. Ivory, I mean, that that is a trope of the stoic player who at the end of the movie makes a rousing speech. Yeah. But that's really my only analysis of of why they picked who that i i mean they couldn't tackle everyone in a two-hour movie but i still don't know why there wasn't more than one scene talking about chavez because they even say in that that shooting range scene they're like ryan you've got it made like you're going to you've got the grades you're getting out of here and mm-hmm. i felt that would have been ripe for analysis of focusing on him to like the one person on the team who is who does have something more than football, mm-hmm. like what that yeah. does to your persona. So why they didn't pick him, I'm confused mm-hmm. about that. 
Yeah, yeah, I definitely thought they would have delved a little more. Yeah. yeah. Um, I agree with everything you said. I think like, again, like narratively, we tend to go with like the, especially in like sports, like there are just like those like high notes that you kind of hit, like you just listed. And this movie hits well, we should say. Yeah. It's a well-made yeah. movie. Yes, yeah, Very absolutely. Well. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely not, yeah, fighting yeah. that at all. Um, But yeah, like I just, I wonder, like you were saying, like, they focus so much on Mike and Dawn. And I just like, even with like Ivory Christian, we kind of get some backstory on him, but he, for me, he kind of fell into like the stoic black football player trope. Sure. So yeah, yeah. I think if they had taken like half of Don Billingsley's scenes and redistributed those to give us more backstory, especially on Ivory mm-hmm. and Chavez, yeah, it would have made more sense and i i just wonder if that's like that's that's movie narratives it's just like we focus on the white characters so that's my perspective there certainly was enough to pull out of the book like we don't really get any of ivory's backstory that's in the book at all like he's a very religious guy he almost stopped Mm -hmm. playing football because he had interest in becoming a minister like he had other personality traits he wasn't even like I didn't even read the book and think of him as a stoic, like silent character. So to see him depicted that way in the movie, I was kind of like, did I miss something in the book? Or was that just sort of a character choice? Or like, was that the director? So I don't know. I would just, I'd be interested to know what a non-white director would have done differently. Even if they had focused on the same four characters, Mm -hmm. like how the scenes could have been distributed a little bit differently. Yeah. With Ivory, they, I mean, the book talks so much about him, like, wanting to become a preacher and him, like, getting out of football. And yeah. the only reference to it in the movie is early on when Booby is talking about wearing the right shoes and, and Ivory Christian's like, oh, I knock your ass out in a pair of flip-flops. Um, mm-hmm. Booby refers <laughs> to him as preacher. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the only, like, mention of it uh, throughout the rest of the, the movie. But I think the book, and I could be wrong, but I think the book does use the term uh, stoicism when okay. describing Ivory. Um, gotcha. yeah. and, and he fit that bill in the movie. Like that was who he was. Um, yeah. I just thought it was interesting with, with Brian Chavez. In the book, he is a tight end, right? Who, like his dad's a lawyer and all this stuff. And they, they don't, they one, switch him to defense, which yeah. of the core four, the two white players on the core four are in offense. The two minorities are in defense, you know, the more violent side mm-hmm. of things, right? Mm. Um, but then don't touch on the fact that his dad's a lawyer, right? He comes from a good family all. and all this. They don't right. touch on it at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that was just an interesting piece to leave out. Yeah. They go so much into his dad's backstory. Like that's yeah. like two chapters of the book. It's so mm-hmm. much like, you're totally right. I mean, and and I really like the perspective too of like the positions that mm. you are talking about because like I even like I should have put two and two together that the quarterback is offense, but like I don't I don't <laughs> think that way. So it's such a good point. And like, did you have something to say? Because I'm going to start branching off into a different. Go ahead. <laughs> but like, but you're so right. I think another thing that I thought is really interesting about the book that we also get in the movie is like how replaceable Booby is. And like, in general, they talk about how replaceable every single position is. Like, 
especially Mm -hmm. in the book. Like it's literally like everybody will throw you away as soon as you can't play football anymore. You're done. You really don't Mm -hmm. matter. But especially with the black and Latinx characters and like, even with the language that they use, like we talk about um, the, how much the N word is delved into in the book and like every single time people are interviewed about booby they basically say like well now that he can't carry a football he's a dumb n-word who doesn't matter and like like he might as i think one of the people who's like on city council says something like he might as well get used to sweeping the corners of classrooms because that's all he's good for now Mm -hmm. And again, especially the non-white characters of being replaceable as soon as they're injured or they graduate or they go on to do something else. Like that, I think, is very deeply rooted in not just recent <laughs> viewpoints of, of non-whites, but like that has roots in like slavery where it's yeah. like it. And, and I think like this is reflected very particularly in sports. Um, but it's, I think it's very true of like a lot of other aspects of like American life, but specifically again, going back to like black bodies on the field and how like, that's a very specific space where, especially like white communities think like that's a space where they can excel. It's like very rooted in like minstrelry and like entertainment Mm -hmm. and like black bodies being entertainment, even when they're being like physically hurt like I think like sports is a very specific context that you can talk about that through because it is still so prevalent and like that's one of the reasons that the community the white community members are like well we're not racist but like black people are naturally better at sports and it's like (laughs) yikes like that's reverse racism (laughs) exists you you've seen get out we know get out (laughs) it's like that's the kind of thing where you really start to understand the consequences of the lack of education and like the lack of the ability to look inward and say like, what are my opinions based on and why are we okay putting those defensive players out on the field? And there's another line in the book that says like, they're everything out here, but then we just ship them back across the, you know, the, the tracks basically. Mm -hmm. And like, they don't mean anything once yeah. they leave. Because the town, yes, like essentially split in two, right between yeah. the affluent areas and then the yeah. poor areas, yeah, predominantly black, yeah. And I think that's exactly why it's important to see that, like, Chris is a great football player, but mm-hmm. people don't value him outside of being Booby's replacement, you know. And like that, like we don't even really get a lot of character arc around him either. So I think that's like. Again, it's just like a very easy one-to-one visualization of like how a lot of non-white communities view black football or any any other type of sport players. Yeah, it was, I mean, they were talking about the desegregation of these high schools, which <laughs> was a whole another frustrating point. Um, yeah. And happened in like 1980, right? It was like <laughs> insane. And yeah, like 10 years afterward, and they needed a lawsuit to make it happen, all this stuff. But right. um, the they talk about how the only positive 
to come of this was Mm -hmm. the introduction of these black players onto the team and how the school districts were essentially gerrymandering so that they could get black athletes onto their team. And then they kind of turn around and the academics are declining in the schools. And they're just like, oh, well, we added a bunch of black people into our school. That's why it's happening. Um, it's, it's, It's just the notion of when you give us good things, all right, cool, we'll take all of that. And anything that's bad, we're going to put on you. And once you exactly. can't give us good things anymore, you're you're useless. Uh, I like reading books like this because it really uncovers things that we don't think about mm-hmm. have roots in this type of exclusionary approach to education, sports, jobs, you know, like everything we take for granted. And so, yeah, it just like, it's so interesting to me that they were trying to like measure the education of these students and yeah, like, like use the stats against them mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. so that they could be like, quote unquote, redistributed based on like physical traits and stuff like instead, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. All incredible points and agreed. And while the movie might not be a quote, um, good adaptation of the book in that regard, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to, in this final stretch, talk about, the final stretch of the movie, the uh, the last game, and how exciting that mm-hmm. that part is. So, yeah. as Ryan stated earlier in the book, they lost in the semifinal game mm-hmm. to the Carter Cowboys, Dallas Carter Cowboys. In the movie, it's they make it the the championship game, which you, you understand from that perspective a little bit more exciting uh, in that regard, and more tragic when they lose. Mm-hmm. Like they shot on location at the the Astrodome there, which is no longer mm, right. um, standing. It's, <laughs> it's NRG Stadium now. Yeah. In, in Houston. Yeah. Right. And, uh, oh, and for their high school games, they shot on location at Ratcliffe Stadium. So Is that in Texas too? Odessa. Oh! Yeah, like they went to wow. Odessa. Oh, I didn't know that to shoot a lot not the whole movie was shot on location but most of the outside football scenes were that was that was the permian stadium that's cool i didn't know that yeah it's very cool i loved how the movie directly echoed the book right before that final game hg bissinger focuses on the equipment all meticulously laid out for all the players in that final game it's almost like little trophies, right? Little displays as if like, this is the most important moment mm-hmm. of your life. And that's really echoed in the, in the movie. Like this is the, probably the final time you're going to wear this uniform. So here it is. It's like a superhero entrance. Mm. And then the game itself is just thrilling. I mean, Peter Berg, as we've discussed, he might not have the directorial ability to get some more nuances out of the story that we would have liked, but he is an expert at kinetic action Mm. and making stuff flow and being exciting, but also visual. Like you never really lose sight of the ball or of (laughs) of the game. And uh, it's shot in a cinema verite style, which is kind of that documentary style, handheld cameras, shots don't usually last longer than a a few seconds. Mm -hmm. And then with that explosions in the sky score, I mean, your hand in mine, that that was, that's the main Mm -hmm. theme in terms of sports moments. That's that whole stretch is probably one of my favorites, like in, in movie history. Yeah. 
I, I thought it was amazing. So uh, speaking just of the movie, I mean, that game is, you can, you can feel that momentum shift, right? You can feel how in the beginning, Dallas Carter was this overwhelming team who just came out and, and you know, was just laying the hammer down. Uh, you know, there's a scene where Ivory Christian's sitting down and Coach Gaines sits next to him and it's like, you know, what are you seeing out there? He's just like, you know, they're big, they're, they're fast, they're dirty and, and they're fast, Coach. He's like, yeah, you said that. It's like, he's just so overwhelmed by what this team is throwing at him. Mm-hmm. And then the second half starts and it's just, you just see the fight from the Permian Panthers, right? You you see them gnawing their way back into this game mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it builds that momentum, builds that excitement right down to the, the final play, right? Well, I guess we get kind of two final plays with the uh, holding call that takes them back and then um, who's it, Don Billingsley, who, who, who runs it and, and ends up getting tackled at the one-yard line. It's, it's just you can you can feel it. And, you know, being someone who watches on the road to my football games in, in high oh, school, yeah. you know, you'd pull up to the stadium and I'm just ready to go, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm really, really kind of ingrained that in you. Um, yeah. So I thought that, I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I was struck by how real the game actually felt. Like, yes. I don't watch a lot of mm-hmm. football, but like there were bodies flying through the air. And those are real hits. Like, yeah. 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 Like there were some times where I was like, is that person okay? Because they <laughs> yeah. do truly look like they were hitting each other. Like there was full contact during mm-hmm. that shoot. I don't know how hard they went or like if it was choreographed. Cause I know there is a lot of choreographing that goes on in sports or manufactured sporting games sure. for mm-hmm. movies mm-hmm. and stuff. But like that legitimately looked like they just had two football teams. Like they were just like, play a game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I was really struck by like the realism that came through the movie. And mm-hmm. I think another thing that really helped me like get into that mode was like the sound design. And I think Mm. that that was like through the entire movie, but like there's like this wall of sound that's just, it's like yelling from the coach, there's cheerleaders, there's the crowd, there's the on-field communication, there's the Mm. score, it's just like loud. And (laughs) the whole movie was kind of like that. It didn't matter like what scene we were watching, it could be a dinner party, it could be a scrimmage, it could be a game, it could be a scene inside someone's home, but it was just like loud. And I think like <laughs> that, like it, it was overwhelming. Like I got, I get overstimulated like very easily and very quickly. <laughs> so it was overwhelming in the beginning, but then like by the end of the movie, it's like, like this is amazing. Like it just like, it like just like washes or like crashes over you. And it just felt like this like authentic game day feel. And yeah, I thought yeah. like, that was like, this is a sports movie. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah. You can't, you can't mistake it. Right. <laughs> Anything, it any other authentic. genre, like no mm-hmm. other genre really, except maybe like racing, but I guess that's still kind of like sports. Like, car racing right. i feel like you get that like yeah. constant right. like loud sound yeah. you know but there's a lot of like yeah. to your point there's a lot of like green screens special effects with that but this looks like they literally just mm-hmm. shot two teams and yeah and there's a lot of the actual actors too who are playing football right like mm-hmm. mike winchell's diving catch like that's you know lewis black whatever his name is is actually diving and making that catch which is yeah. so unique to sports movies you don't get that often 
Yeah. yeah, that's true. And like, I'm sure, again, a lot of sports movies use stunt doubles, but very clearly, I don't think that this movie did that. Like, everybody on the field was recognizable as a character. Right. Mm-hmm. Or if they did use stunt people, it was, they just had them go full bore. I think <laughs> in the last five or so years, there's been a lot of protocols around like concussions and safety and such just like that so i think stunt people are held back a little bit in that regard but back in 2003 when this filmed they could like there was no regulation on that type of stuff do you remember there was a tackle that happened and i was like isn't that what you're not supposed to do with your head oh yeah he (laughs) he led with his head he like fully just like tucks his chin into his chest and i was like i don't know much about football but i feel like that could snap your spine like, and and that might have been an actor. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Like that was a scary play. I always yeah. thought that stunt people knew how to not get hurt, but then I started working in this industry. I've had the pleasure to be on some shoots with stunt people. It's more they're willing to get hurt. They just know how to get hurt <laughs> and gain the least amount of damage. Hmm. So it's like I think they just really went for it. That is crazy. That also makes me think of like people in sports, like, and and people playing either at this level in high school, like amateur sports or people playing. Cause, cause like we talked about this with Moneyball, like what a mental game it is too. like Mm -hmm. every, every, you know, aspect of sports is so mental. And especially with Booby, like they talked about him maybe not being like physically able to play, but also like the mentality of being able to put yourself in front of a 230 pound person who's ready to like (laughs) pin you to the ground. (laughs) Like that takes an incredible amount of like mental, like fortitude. (laughs) And once that's gone, like once you get seriously injured after that, like it's so much harder for you to put yourself in that position because you know Mm -hmm. the stakes. So like, Yeah. yeah, stunt people are, incredible <laughs> incredible and if we're yeah. bringing this back to to the, the medical perspective of it um mm-hmm. with especially like acl tears one of the things we normally do to make sure someone's ready to go back out and play is they fill out a questionnaire the fear based questionnaire right where it talks about Whoa. or ask them questions to see if they're mentally ready to get back out there because um, so there's plenty of research that says you know the less confident you are the more likely you are to get hurt you're going to yeah. be hesitant. You're going to do whatever. You're going to get re-injured. Um, yeah. And so we asked them, yeah, this fear-based athletic questionnaire. Um, that's so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense. Like, that's exactly what they talked about in the book. Yeah. And Dan, I was wondering if you felt any connection with Ivory Kristen, I guess more so in the book than the movie, but you talked about how before games, right, you would get that nervous energy um and it was mentioned in the book plenty of times out one of his rituals was going to the bathroom and, and vomiting before the game you know getting all that nervous energy out of him uh did you ever experience anything like that playing football in high school oh yeah see i'm not like superstitious or anything like that but but a little stitious yeah uh, <laughs> i would say microstitious <laughs> uh there was one game and before beforehand I had sustained a little like skin injury in, in practice so it was like right below my knee and so I taped that up pre-game and that game we went out and did really well something within me turned on and was like okay before every game you're going to tape below your knees 
or else you won't be able to play well. And again, I, I'm not connected to superstition or anything like that, but I was so nervous and looking for any sign, whether it be supernatural, spiritual, something that could connect me to a good performance that I would just load into that. So that was my ritual before games. I wouldn't talk to anyone. I would listen to Pantera or Slipknot uh, in, the, in the locker room. I would tape, do a few rolls around uh, each each knee. And then like a psycho, I would just go out there and black out for three hours. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, you know, I was an okay athlete, but really that feeling of uh, the, the lack of confidence really never left me. Um, I think, of, if I may, I think a big part of that was comparing yourself to your brother's sure. performance that, in sports. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think on an objective scale, they were actually and are better athletes. And, you know, just getting over that was a big part of my growth just as a human. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, uh, if I will, relates even more to Ivory Christian in the sense that, like, you had this pressure to play football. Right. It was just it was what you did right? for you. It was just your family always played. So you had to play and him. It's it's the only thing to do in Odessa, Texas when you're when yeah. you're a big black man. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And but he clearly didn't want to play. There's multiple yeah. times where he wanted to quit. He didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and I know both your brothers ended up playing sports in, in college and you didn't went to film school and now are doing amazing things out in L.A. Um, but it, it just kind but of, continue. <laughs> it just kind of feels like there's that natural connection between you two, Definitely. you know, loving well, football, but like not yes. loving football. Yes. Yeah. I did do a sport in college, Ryan. It's called sketch comedy. Ever heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> we had practice. <laughs> true, true, very true. Yeah. I know. I appreciate that, Ryan. And like a natural leader as you are, I saw a lot of you in uh, Mike Winchell. So yeah, I, I see myself in Mike Winchell as well. I wanted to be more like Booby Miles, like cool and <laughs> swaggy, but uh, yeah, a little more reserved. Like Mike Winchell, I think is accurate. Yeah, nice. Did you did you throw up before games? Was that ever a <laughs> ritual of yours? No, I I didn't throw up. Um, I'm trying to think of what <laughs> ritual I had. Um, I don't think really anything that I can think of, like nothing. That well, watching was, Friday uh, Night Lights was a ritual. Watching Friday yeah. Night Lights, I guess, was my ritual. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to channel that West Texas football energy. Yeah, <laughs> up in Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in beautiful Northfield, Mount Hermon, yes. the Hogwarts of Western Mass. <laughs> yes, yes. Who actually cut their football program two years after I graduated? Oh, what? Um, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I and mean, we were goodness. really bad, and no one wanted to play, so it makes sense. But sure, yeah. um, no, but that's interesting because usually, like, I'm not used to schools cutting sports programs. Like after I graduated, <laughs> my school added hockey, even though UND is like the best hockey team in North Dakota, <laughs> <laughs> and so this little tiny like private school of four thousand students now has a hockey team and also a new basketball arena and a new football arena and a new swimming pool. And a new wrestling gym. <laughs> in, the, in the six years that we that we graduated. Um, anyway, I'll get off that high horse. So I had I had a, a final question, um, and especially for you, Ryan, because again, you have like the physical knowledge. But like, 
what do you think of like letting your kids playing full play like full contact football? Like, is that something that people have asked you before? Is that something that like your perspective have changed since you grew up and, you know, had good experiences, but like ultimately like both of you were hit pretty hard. I'm assuming <laughs> out on the field a few times. Yeah. 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 A couple of times. And it's actually funny that you asked this question as, as my fiance just walked in the door. Um, but I do plan on having my kids play football um, mm-hmm. if they want to. If they right, want to be right. athletes and play football. <laughs> I'm all for it. I know that the the risk of injuries and and all that concussions, right? CTE is a huge thing now. Um, I know that the, those are are prevalent. Um, and I think if my kid ever had too many concussions or didn't want to play or whatever, it would pull them out. But sure. um, I think for me, football taught me so much. Um, mm. about myself you know the willingness to go out there and put your body on the line the the grind of having practices every day a week where you're just getting beat up and then to go and do that to someone else <laughs> on Friday night or Saturday right it's um, yeah not something that many sane people <laughs> do um, mm-hmm. but it, it, it again as like I said taught me so much about myself and what I can handle and, and how I deal with adversity and and what I'm willing to do um, yeah. that I think it's it's something that will help me relate to my kids and hopefully yeah. they'll take some of the same lessons away. Yeah, nice. That's that's good. I should have prefaced by saying if you want kids because obviously <laughs> I don't assume that of anybody. <laughs> but yeah. If you guys want kids, would they play football? Yes, we want eight kids all in a row and we're going to make our own little team. When you say we... <laughs> Who's actually carrying those bidets? Um, yeah, going to force them to play, not going to give them a choice. No, it, it's a good question. I agree with everything you said there, Ryan. And while I do want to also share that connection with my kids, I also, you know, I experienced the concussion in high school and had some lingering effects from that. So I'm, I'm weary of that. So yeah, it's tough. You know, actually something I learned recently was like, it's kind of like a parenting thing. It's like, when you say like, be careful to your kid, that's your fear. It's not theirs. Mm. And I think like that's applicable to letting your kids play any type of sport because you obviously want to protect them, but if that's what they want to do and they get joy out of it. And like you said, Ryan, like they're learning about themselves through the sport. It probably is not safer, but like if they want to do it, you know, don't hold them back because of your own fear. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You, you, yeah. you explain the dangers of it, uh, right? Yeah, sure. Explain both sides of it and let them know. Um, yeah. I think in my case, I'm very fortunate that myself and my future wife are both physical therapists. Right. So should our kids get injured, they're going to be rehabbed perfectly. <laughs> yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're yeah. very unique in that sense. <laughs> That's true. They're, your kids, if they come into being, will be very lucky. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice. Well, that was a that was a good discussion. I'm just interested. I always ask people that because like it scares me. But based on what I just learned, like you're talking, and actually that it's a good reflection too of like what the adults don't do in the movie and the book. It's like they never educate their kids on the risks of either physically putting yourself on the field and also like mentally not preparing yourself for anything outside of football, like. I don't, I think a huge reflection of the book is the poor like parenting and like mentorship that's available in 
Odessa mm-hmm. and towns, small towns like Odessa. And like, even the coach who is a great person, like that's really the only mentor that they have in their life. So like even the danger of putting all your eggs in one basket in terms of like one mentor, it like, there's a risk to that. Like yeah. you can get a yeah. lot of good things out of that, but at the same time, you're only getting one flawed person's perspective on life. So like, yeah. we didn't really talk about that too much, but like the failings of the adult world in Odessa, I think is like a, a huge undercurrent in this book. Yeah. Yeah. When they were talking about how the football players would rather spend their Friday nights trying to see how intoxicated they could possibly get, right? With one of the players roaming around in the parking lot at 3 a.m., like blackout drunk. Yeah. That shouldn't be a thing, right? Like, like Don Billingsley was saying that he was an alcoholic at like 18. Um, Yeah. Like there, there are adults in their lives who are failing them if these are the realities of their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in this book that we can keep talking about. But yeah, we should probably wrap up, especially you are three hours ahead of us. So I know it's getting kind of late out there. Final Um, ratings for the book in the movie and final thoughts too. uh, I go first as a guest. Yeah, yeah. feels like a lot of pressure. Um, (laughs) If we're going out of four stars for the movie, I'll give it three and a half. Like I said, it's probably one of the movies I've watched the most in my life. Uh, I love it and I feel such a connection with it. Um, mm. But we did talk about the the falls of the movie, right? The, the the areas that it failed in. Yeah. For the book, I might go like, can I go like 3.8? Is that a... Sure. Is that fair? We'll allow yeah. it. We'll right. allow it. Uh, <laughs> I thought like the H.E. Bissinger is like prose, right? The, the, the way he talks about and describes scenes especially the championship game when he's describing that last push down the field and he breaks up the the little segments of like each play with mm-hmm. them talking about someone in the community and, and how this is like impacting them and what they're feeling at the moment and then goes to the mm-hmm. next play and then another person, right? You feel like you're there. Um, yeah. And I just thought that was, that was so powerful. And it was definitely one of my favorite books that I've read in, in recent memory. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I pretty much echo your words there, especially with the movie. I'm going three and a half out of four for the movie as well. It does have some obvious flaws. A lot of movies from the early aughts, you can you can mm. pick out things that like that wouldn't fly today. Uh, it, it's more so obvious of these early aughts movies and movies that came before it. Really, it was such a, a weird time for cinema, uh, but it's still a rousing sports drama. Perfect chef's kiss length. Great editing, serviceable direction. I guess I guess more than serviceable because all the performances are great too. Mm-hmm. Tim McGraw should act more. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can think of other actors who I'd rather be seeing acting. Sure, right now. sure. I mean, yeah, um, he's had a fine career in yeah. music. Um, the book. There was um, a few stretches where. Bissinger broke away from football to talk about a few things where I did hit a few walls. I think right before the big championship game, he talks about oil futures and economy for a little bit too long where I'm like, let's, Mm. let's speed this up back to the game. So I'm going three and a half out of four, three and a half for both big recommend solid gives you that sports drama that I love, but also 
there's more there's more subtext there mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. your normal sports movie. So yeah. Well, thank you both for sharing. Yeah. I feel like I'm coming down exactly the same, like 3.5 for both the book and the movie. The book was tough and I'm really glad, Ryan, that you suggested that we do this because I was shying away. Like we knew we could put it on the list and I was like, mm-hmm. eh, another sports movie. Like, I don't know. Like we just did Moneyball. But I was very delighted at the perspective that H.G. Bissinger came with to the story or like toward the story um with (laughs) um so that was like I think it was more enjoyable for me than Moneyball just because it did fit in with like my journey toward anti-racism well it kind of like stuck in that space better than I think Moneyball did for me um I also agree that there were some slow points like I think some of the discussion about the oil industry helped me understand the town, but it was a lot. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, I, I'm just like not as compelled by that stuff. Like you can basically tell me that their economy crashed and I'd be like, I get it. Like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then with the movie, I think 3.5. Um, the one thing I, I really liked the score but I think I was missing some of the 80s music that I think would have helped mm. it ground it in the time period a little bit right. more. You do forget that I, it's, it takes place in 88. Yeah, like yeah. I was thinking that I was actually comparing it to Stranger Things in that sense because Stranger <laughs> Things is like mired in 80s culture. And I missed that from this movie because I love 80s music so much. I really wanted like, some Walkman music or something like to, <laughs> to get me in the mood of the eighties. I kind of missed that. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was a, it was a pretty solid sports movie. I don't really see any flaws with it. Other than the ones that we talked about. So yeah, 3.5. Sweet. Well, as our, uh, de facto dad, Tim McGraw says, live life like you're dying. So wouldn't it be so nice if men could just go to therapy instead of work their issues out on the <laughs> no you need to get like <laughs> punching each other in the, in the... that's fun that stuff's fun i'm saying like off the field like there is no life off the field because <laughs> i just like i just want these people to go to therapy like tim mcgraw's character should be <laughs> you mean um, instead of like getting drunk and kicking out windows in a son's car like therapy yeah, would be a better like, yikes <laughs> yikes yeah, no, it's uh, no, it's a good movie. Anyway, yeah, it's a good movie. wrapping up. <laughs> well, thanks, Doc, for coming on. This was a special episode. Yeah. What great insight. Thank you for yeah. devoting a big portion of your day to this recording. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you guys for having me. I mean, this was an absolute pleasure to be on. And hopefully I did well enough that you guys would invite me back for another time. Uh, but this was great. We'll think about it. <laughs> B minus. Uh, all right. No, just kidding. No, of course a, you're a plus. A plus. Yeah. With a shorter book. A big W. Yes, yeah. with a shorter book, please. <laughs> all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Please rate, review, subscribe if you want to, and we'll see you on the next one.